Hey, this is Pastor Hubbard. I'm the pastor of Connecting Fellowship and welcome to Life on the Ship. Thank you for joining us. I pray this sermonic discussion inspires you and empowers you to connect with the true and living God. Enjoy the message. Reverend Dr. Chad Rankin needs no introduction, but he deserves one. Dr. Rankin is the lead pastor and founder of House of Hope Church in League City, Texas. For almost three decades, Dr. Rankin has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and abroad. He is a featured conference speaker, church planner, church revitalization consultant, guest lecturer and chapel speaker at Houston's College of Biblical Studies and Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Rankin earned his B.S. from the College of Biblical Studies, M.A. from Dallas Theological Seminary, and his D.M.A. from Northern Seminary. And he is presently a Ph.D. candidate at Anderson University. What I appreciate about Dr. Rankin is his authenticity, because what you see is what you get. And what you get is a genuinely contagious love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. Please stand to your feet. Put your hands together for the speaker of the hour, the Reverend Dr. Chad Rankin. Amen. Every head bow, every eye closed. Father, we say thank you for this opportunity to call upon your name. We thank you for the opportunity to go higher in your worship service on today. Your presence is already here, oh God. We feel you in this place. Now, would you feed us according to the precepts and principles of your word? Would you clear the clutter of our consciousness? Would you give me preaching and teaching power that your word will go forth, that it may not come back void, that it will accomplish all of what you have set out for it to do for your glory? For your glory, for your glory, we pray and ask it all in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Let us all say amen. amen. Come on, let's put uh, your hands together for the Lord. He's been good to us. The Bible says that this is the day which the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, y'all can do better than that. This is the day. Which the Lord has made, the Bible says we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. David said it like this, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It is great to be here at Connecting Fellowship. I want to thank your tribal shepherd of this branch of Zion, Pastor Hubbard, to the elders, uh, to my father's children, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is just good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be alive. It's good to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. There is a word from the Lord, so I'm going to ask that you would take your Bibles to the Old Testament narrative of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. And I would encourage you during your spare time that you would read verses 1 through 9, for it will constitute the context for which we will attempt to preach and teach on this morning, but for our sake of reading, I just want to read verse 4, 5, and 6. When you get it, shout Jesus. We're going to try that again. 
when you get it or when you see it, shout Jesus. Hear ye the words of the Lord. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reapproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquities and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to its half, its height, for the people had a mind to work. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord with your prayers this morning. I want to talk from this thought in mind. Building and battling. Building and battling. Look at your neighbor next to you and say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Preacher going to preach about building and battling. Now look at another neighbor across the room on the other side and say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Preacher's going to preach about building and battling building and battling. Church, one of my adolescent heroes, a brother by the name of the Italian stallion Rocky Balboa, he said that no one's ever going to hit you as hard as life. He says, but it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep on fighting. You see, church, there was something on the inside of him that motivated him to get up and keep fighting even when life tried to knock him down. And church, that's a word for all of us this morning. When life and ministry tries to knock us down, we have to have in our minds and within our hearts that we must be able to keep on fighting to accomplish the goals and work that God has called us to do. That's what we see in this historical narrative of Nehemiah. But for us to understand the context of how we got here, it is important that we pull back the covers of Israel's history. You must understand that the northern kingdom had been overtaken by and taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And then the Assyrians actually uh, end up being defeated and overtaken by Babylon. And Babylon end up overtaking the southern kingdom. And then Babylon was overtaken by Persia. And it was underneath the Persian reign that there was some grace. There was some favor that was extended to the people of the Jewish nation. There was an edict that went out through several kings and they allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and most theologians call this the post-exilic period. It is in this period that we see uh, the first step of that post-exilic period, the guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Uh, Zerubbabel was sent back to rebuild the temple. You can read about Zerubbabel in Ezra chapters 1 through chapter 6 because his job was to bring about restoration for the people. But then 59 years later, there, there begins to be another rebuilding process. And that's when Ezra comes upon the scene. This is for reformation. And you can read about it in Ezra chapter 7 through chapter 10. 
But then there is a 12-year gap after that, and that's when my friend Nehemiah comes upon the scene, and he comes upon the scene to rebuild the walls. In Nehemiah chapter 1, the Bible says he had a concern for the people, and he prayed to God for favor. But then in Nehemiah chapter 2, he begins to examine the walls and have a vision being placed on him by God to rebuild the walls, and the Bible says that he commissioned the people of God to rebuild the walls. Well, in chapter 3, that's when they begin to start doing all the work. The work was assigned, and all of the Jews begin to come together. Various different brotherhoods and groups come together so they can rebuild the wall. But it helps us to understand, despite the ups and downs of Israel history, God is always in control. You see, God is always working behind the scenes. God is always doing something that we cannot see, and which helps us to understand, church, we ought to be able to get to a point where we are in with God's character because God's character reveals that he is a covenant-keeping God, and he is able to work with the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish his purpose for his glory. Did you hear what I said? He is able to work with the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish his purpose for his own glory. And therefore, the question that we have to ask this morning, Connecting Fellowship, is what do we need to understand when we are building and battling? Building and battling. There are two uh, spiritual nuggets I want to give to you. I promise we're going to raise up out. The first one is you should expect spiritual warfare. You, you, you should expect spiritual warfare. Unfortunately, people uh, within the body of Christ have mistakenly thought that trying to do something for the kingdom of God is easy like Sunday morning. But you and I know after 14 years of ministry, doing something for the glory of God is never easy, but it is a great reward. Most people don't understand, church, that there is a spiritual warfare that takes place to try to stop the man and woman of God to accomplish all the things that God would have for them to do for his glory. And that's what we see in this text. We see a spiritual warfare that goes on, but I want you to learn and see some observations. First of all, spiritual warfare involves people. It involves people. Church, there is no secret that the Bible tells us to love our neighbors. The Bible also tells us to love our enemies. But what do you do when they are one in the same? Y'all missed that. The, 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 the narrative helps us to understand that Nehemiah has been faced with this juxtaposition because ever since he arrived in Jerusalem, Sam Ballot and his associates had had a problem with him because they saw him as a threat. They saw what he was doing for the people as a threat to them. 
because as long as there is a strong Jerusalem and the walls are intact, it would uh, uh, change the balance of power. But as long as the people were weak, as long as the people were fearful, then it allows Samballat and his associates to reign and rule over these people to do what they want to do. But the Bible says in verse 1 that he heard about them rebuilding the walls and he became furious and angry. You still got your Bibles open? Pastor, it, it, it is illogical. It is downright irresponsible or insane um, that you are trying to do something for the kingdom of God and you along the way you end up having haters. Church, let's not pass this so quickly. Because as long as you have a vision from God, as long as you're doing the work of God, as long as you have favor, you and I will always draw out people who will try to discredit you and doing it, trying to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. You will always have people. I mean, haters. I mean, people. I mean, haters. You will always have these people who are always doing this. They are always talking long enough and they are always talking loud enough to mock what God is trying to do in an unfounding hate. We see this in the text. Look at verse 2. Is it not what Sanballat is trying to do? In verse 2, he openly ridicules so that everybody can hear what his disposition is about the Jews. So much so that the Bible says that Tobiah the Ammonite began to mock the work of God and put his two cents in it in verse 3, and it helps us to understand, and we ought to pause here parenthetically, because God wants you and I to do a self-evaluation to determine if our individual attitudes actions or behaviors has exemplified hating or disruptiveness in the direction and vision the way that pastor says this church ought to go because the church is no longer the church of 2012 and 2010 we, we, we got we to gotta think something different and something new to accomplish because culture has changed so much that people think they don't need God anymore. People think they don't need church anymore. But you must understand when life happens, we'll be right here waiting on them. Because life will happen, but we must understand and hopefully we are not contributing to the nonsense that's happening in the world with our attitudes, with our actions, with our behaviors that are exemplifying that we are being used as a disruptive force to keep the vision and work of God from making progress. Have you ever been that... Uh, public imposter by saying God bless you but probably you're trying to tear down and undermine the progress of God's work have we allowed our preferences or our traditions to hinder the vision of God because we don't like how it goes nowadays 
Church, we, we, we got to understand when you are building and battling, we must understand that we will always encounter people who will try to discourage the work of God. So, so there it is. It, it involves people, but I want you to see something else. It also involves propaganda. In, in verse 2, uh, we see propaganda. British Carlisle and author Thomas Carlisle, he, he, he makes a, uh, a statement. and He says, ridiculed is the language of the devil. Shakespeare comes along and says that ridicule are just paper bullets of the brain. And church, if we are honest and transparent this morning, um, maybe that's the real reason why some of us didn't decide to go and finish college. Maybe that's the reason why some of us didn't start the business. Maybe that's the reason why some of us have stayed in dysfunctional uh, relationships that have not prospered us. Maybe that's the reason why some of us have gotten to a point where we don't want to learn a new skill set so we can improve our career opportunities. Because here's the thing you have to understand. When we have allowed our dreams, our visions, our goals, and our aspirations to be killed by other people's paper bullets of ridicule, they keep rehearsing within our own mind, and we do it often, and it may have started when we were a child. Mama said you wasn't going to never be nothing. Daddy said you wasn't going to never be nothing. That third grade teacher said you wasn't going to never be nothing. That man that you left said you wasn't going to be nothing without them. But you also understand that these are just paper bullets to try to stop you from doing what God has called you to do in life and in ministry. We see this evidence in the text. Because Sanballat's actions were to ridicule the Jews and to stop doing what God had placed on their heart to do. And notice uh, he does it with a series of five questions. Verse 2, he spoke in the presence of these wealthy men and brothers. In other words, he spoke in the presence of those who got influence. And he poses these five questions. Watch what he says. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifice? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? What they were literally doing and what he was literally doing, he was first of all trying to question their ability. Then he was trying to question their motives. Then he began to work on their purpose and their strength and their capacity. And anytime people begin to question why you do what you do, you ain't got no reason to explain to them why you do what you do. Because the vision that God gave you ain't for them, it's for you. That's why we got to remind ourselves when ridicule comes through people and propaganda that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So it involves people. It involves propaganda. But it also involves partnership. Look, look at verse 7 and 8. It involves partnership. The Bible uh, illustrates that there's five different groups who have come together to try to stop the work of the Lord. This is madness because it shows the power of hatred. Because the world will come together to try to stop the work of the Lord. 
You best believe that. That's why they want to counsel churches because we are speaking the truth of the word of God, saying this is what a man is. This is what marriage is. This is what a woman is based upon the authority of the word of God. And yet they would like to counsel us because our authority is not based in humanism of how we feel, but rather it's based on the truth of the word of God. And so as a result, what we fail to realize and understand that Satan will always use people, propaganda, and partnerships. Because they came to try to stop the progress of God. And it's there to try to distract us from fulfilling the plan that God uh, calls us to do. And all of this involves spiritual warfare. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Um, the Bible is clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, but here's the thing I want you to realize. So that means that if I can see you, you are not my enemy. Y'all missed that. <laughs> We wrestle not against flesh. Yes, he's going to use people. Yes, he's going to use propaganda. Yes, he's going to use partnership. But there's somebody behind the people. There's somebody behind the propaganda. There's somebody behind the partnership that is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And church, anytime you're trying to build your spiritual life, anytime you're trying to build your family, anytime you're trying to build your church, anytime you're trying to build your ministry or your business or your your finances or your relationship, your body, your mind, your intellect, Satan is not too far and he would use all three of these things to discourage you. But you got to make up in your mind that I'm going to believe the word of God because of something on the inside of me. Dartmouth College, uh, their engineering program about seven years ago, uh, designed a new device for football. It was called the MVP, the Mobile Virtual Player. Uh, back when we played football, uh, we had this thing called the dummy that you would go and go hit and it would just stay down. And the coach would have to pick it back up and you run back and you hit again. But the engineers at Dartmouth College, they, 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 they built this device that's about a hundred and uh, 2,540 pounds. It, 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 it moves up to uh, 40 miles an hour. It can go all over the place. You see NFL teams and college teams use it now. But, but, but y'all, when it get knocked down, there's something on the inside of it <laughs> that automatically bounces it back up. And, and when you were talking to the engineers, they, they said, we, we designed it that way so that when it gets knocked down, it will automatically pop back up. It, we, we designed it that way. We placed something on it. Y'all still ain't got that. We placed something on the inside, and we designed it that way that when they are knocked down, they automatically get back up. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world, and because he's greater, God is saying that even when life knocks you down, I got something on the inside of you that will make you pop back up. Because I designed it that way. You are built for this. 
And therefore, when you are building and battling, the first thing you and I got to recognize you, we have this. Here it is, spiritual warfare. We can expect that. We, we can expect spiritual warfare. Number two, we, we and final, you, you should ex, uh, respond with a spiritual strategy. We, 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 we should respond with a spiritual strategy. Notice in verse 4 through 6, verse 9. First of all, we see verses 4 through 5, in the A part of verse 9, he had a strong dependence upon God through prayer. It is important part of praying is a willingness to be a part of the answer so that God can use you even after you have prayed. Church, church prayer was a distinctive and consistent part of Nehemiah's approach to solving problems. He didn't go off on people. He didn't curse folk out. He didn't say, you don't know what side of town I'm from. No, no, he, he, he prayed. That was his consistent uh, answer to solving problems. He had a dependence upon the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. It communicates a relationship, a reverence, but it also reveals his problem. It denotes an intimacy that he has with Yahweh in prayer. When you read the entire prayer, it reminds me of what the psalmist has, what is called imprecatory prayers. Um, imprecatory prayers are those prayers that some of us pray to God. It's simply saying, God, get them. God, God, you're going to have to get them. God, get them. Get them. Get them and get them now. Now, I know some of y'all are starting to think about some folk right about now. No, that, that, that ain't going to work. Because you're like, Lord, I got some folk that I need for you to get. But, 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 but anytime they are uh, the imprecatory prayers, listen now, they are based upon the promises of God that you and I can see and read about in the book of Deuteronomy. And so when people actually curse the people of God, God says, now y'all can tell me to get them because they have done something I said that I was going to handle, which is a promise in Deuteronomy. For those who curse you, I will curse them. It ain't just us going around and we done had that bad relationship saying, Lord, get them. They done did me wrong at the job. Lord, get them. Now, we may say, God, now you know what I'm experiencing, but we can't go around talking about God, get them. Unless it comes from the power and the promises of God. But, but Nehemiah had a dependence upon the Lord and it allowed him, church, to trust God to fight his battle and the rest of the people kept working. So they had, a, they had a dependence upon the Lord, but they kept working. And that's a word for us. Don't wait until you in trouble to pray. Make prayer, here it is, an important part of your life. None of us will leave the house without brushing our teeth. Yeah, hopefully. But it seems we get up, 
get dressed, go to work without talking to the Lord on a daily basis. It ought to be just a, a great discipline that you and I have because we desire to be in communion with him. Notice what they have. Uh, I understand that trouble will drive you to prayer, but prayer will drive away trouble. And so he had a dependence upon God through prayer. But watch this. They also determined to stay focused and keep working at all costs. And verse 6 in the 9 part of, of, of verse 9, the B part, Nehemiah after praying, verse 4 and 5, he and the Jews kept working, verse 6. He trusted that the Lord will do his part, and he and the people will have to do their part. Church, I noticed the catalyst for this work, because in verse 6 it says, for the people had a mind to work. Church, it started with their mind, because what we think will determine our actions or and our faith. If we doubt, we will have fear. And if we talk to the Lord in prayer, and while we're talking to him, you and I can recall his promises, and we will have faith. The battle, really, for any of us, you know where it's going to come from? It's going to come within our mind. That's why the scripture is clear, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that we ought to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. So we see a dependence upon God through prayer. We see a determined to stay focused and keep working. But the last one is this. We, we, we see a plan of action. His, his spiritual strategy was to depend upon God through prayer, but also to put a plan of action in place. The text says in verse 9, we set up a guard against them day and night. Y'all see that? Church, I learned something being in ministry for all these years that God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Did you, did you hear what I said? God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Don't, don't ask God to help you to pass the test when what's going to help you to pass the test is for you to study. And so as a result of that, here it is. Here's some applications. Build this church. Pray, but share the gospel and disciple the people of God in the word of God. Build your family spiritually. Pray but have family devotion in the word of God. Build your finances, pray, but also give to God. Pay off your debt and save something every month. Build your business, pray, but clean up your credit. Start with what you have and invest in yourself. Build your body and your mind, pray, but also read and meditate on the word of God. Exercise and go to sleep. It does not make sense for both of us to be up. When the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumber, I'm going to sleep. I don't know about you, but I'm going to sleep. If he got it, he got it. Ain't no sense of me worrying about it. We got to get to a point where we are praying and dependent upon God, but we also create a plan of action to accomplish the vision that God has given us for his glory. Building and battling. You should expect spiritual warfare. 
and you should respond with a spiritual strategy. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a DC4L guy. That's Dallas Cowboys for life. Yeah, I, 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 I love the Dallas Cowboys since I was probably three, you know, from there. And, you know, every year we, we think we're going to the Super Bowl. We can be 1 and 14, but we, we think we're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. But, but, but here's, the, here's the other thing. Not only do I enjoy the Dallas Cowboys, but equally I also enjoy the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Um, because, you know, on a playing field, any given Sunday, you will have a 53-man roster. You would have the coaches, you would have the trainers, you would have other personnel, but you also have cheerleaders. And the cheerleaders will tell everybody on the team that we are going to make it, even though we lose in 35 to 0. Uh, the, 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 the cheerleaders, watch this, their job is to encourage the team. Even when we're losing, their job is to encourage the team. Connecting fellowship. Here's what I believe God wants us to do when you are building and battling and folk are coming in battered and bruised by life. We ought to pick up the megaphone of faith because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when you got family and friends and co-workers and associates that come in this place of worship, they ought to be met with members and leaders with this mindset of faith to teach them and to share them as a cheerleader, the word of God. You ought to tell somebody when they come in battered and bruised that they ought to trust in the Lord with all of their heart and lean not to their own understanding in all their ways. They ought to acknowledge him for he will direct their path. You ought to tell them early on a Sunday morning that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. You ought to tell them that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You ought to tell them that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man for God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able for with that temptation he will always give you a way of escape you ought to tell them and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and you ought to tell them that my God shall supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory you ought to tell them now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. You ought to tell them that after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When they are building and battling, there ought to be some cheerleaders in this place that can give them the word of God that will encourage them that despite what's happening in your life, you can wake it because you need to expect spiritual warfare, but you also need a spiritual strategy. May God bless you, may he keep you, is my prayer. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Pastor Hubbard and the staff of Life on the Ship. For more information about our church, 
go to connectingfellowship.org. We are Connecting Fellowship, connecting people to Christ, church, and community. Thank you again for listening. Have a great week, and God bless you.